everyone, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Brant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we're having a special check-in from the road of Ken's missionary journeys, which is currently positioned somewhere between Romania and Germany. Uh, but I think we're mainly going to talk about Romania. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Which, from our discussion briefly uh, yesterday, which is uh, why we're here today talking, is it was pretty busy and pretty eventful, and uh, lots to report. So, yeah, why don't you why don't you tell us all that happened? Yeah, so um, I flew into Germany this morning uh, from Romania. We finished up after. Let me think. I got there on um, when did I get there? I left the United States on Valentine's Day, so Wednesday. Got there Thursday, and we had meetings on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We didn't have meetings scheduled for Monday and Tuesday, but we uh, we did have some touring and sightseeing scheduled, all of which got canceled because there were so many people wanting ministry that we basically threw out our personal plans and we uh gave up the time we planned is whether rest or recreation which aren't the same uh we gave all that up to pray for more people um the average ministry session that people received while we were there whether on monday or tuesday or during the regular conference that was going on uh the low end was two hours and the upper end was five hours. Wow. And I think the midpoint was three to three and a half. I think for a lot of people, that's rather eye-opening, maybe shocking. Um, maybe you even think we're incompetent and don't know what we're doing. Um, but actually, this is what real ministry looks like. And I think a lot of people believe that um, ministry trips are really like, small vacations or something and they are 100% not small vacations um, I had a team with me of five people one of whom had to leave early to return home to his uh, job in Stuttgart so he left us on Sunday night and uh, flew back to Stuttgart and returned to work on Monday but the other four and I were there for the Monday Tuesday and um I don't think there was a single night that anybody got to bed before 1.30 a.m. And I can tell you that I personally had multiple nights where I was up till three. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And and so were these, uh, first of all, I can cooperate Ken's stories on that uh, <laughs> as far as the uh, the length of time. I think there's, I try to tell people at the places that we go, um, you know, the reason Ken can't pray for everyone is because we don't have like three weeks, uh, because that's basically how long it would take for you to pray for everyone. Because like you're saying, effective prayer takes time. Um, sometimes it doesn't. And that's the grace of God. Right. <laughs> We're right. very happy. Yeah. We're very happy for those cases, but it's rare. Um, so just to corroborate that. And then also to say, uh, was this um, church services? Was this uh, conference meetings, like what, what kind of, what was happening? Uh, were you going around to different churches? How, where did all this come about? No, we were at one specific church in the Timisoara area. Uh, for those who may remember that name from maybe 20 or more years ago, 
when the Iron Curtain began to fall in uh, Eastern Europe, Timisoara was the site of the original protests, demonstrations, slash uprisings against the Nikolai Ceausescu regime, which was one of the most brutal and vicious in Eastern Europe. Many, many people were uh, summarily executed uh, for the single crime of being Christians. Uh, others were tortured. If you know the name Richard Vormbrandt, he was a Romanian, and he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. Uh, Vormbrandt is spelled W-U-R-M-B-R-A-N-D-T. I had the chance to meet uh, Pastor Vormbrandt a couple of times in my early 20s. Um, he had a huge impact on me just from those couple of meetings. I read his book, Tortured for Christ. Um, he and his wife, Sabina, were both imprisoned. Uh, and he was in prison for 14 years for his faith. Uh, as I say, this was one of the most brutal regimes in the entire communist world, uh, maybe second only to uh, the one that happened under Enver Hoxha in the Albanian uh, situation, but but all of that area suffered greatly under communism, and the the signs of the damage that communism did to the people, um, to the spiritual life of the nation, to the consciousness, and I would even add to the uh, not just the spiritual life but the morality of the people persists to this day. I have more to say about that, but we'll get to it. Um, I really don't have enough to say about how evil communism is. And this isn't just my own observation. I've been in, uh, I've been in multiple uh, formerly communist countries. I've ministered to many, many people who were once uh, under communist regimes here, there, and around the world. And um, there, I know right now it's very popular to uh, advocate for communism because supposedly... It is uh, something that makes everybody equal and kind of eliminates class distinctions and so forth. But remember that even in uh, communist nations, there was always the ruling class uh, back in the days of communism using a Russian term, because in, in those days, Russia was the leader of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics or the USSR. Um, and the Warsaw Pact nations, which was basically their military alliance that mirrors NATO. Um, back in those days, there was a class of people in those countries, and again, this, this is drawing on the Russian language, who were known as the Aparachiki, which is the plural form of Aparachik. And the Aparachik is uh, singular, Aparachiki plural. Uh, these were people who were the ruling class. And while all the people were living in these drab, uh, concrete, buildings that had been built to house them they were more like cell blocks than actual apartments and they existed to service the state um, and all of the commoners they they were known as the proletariat or the proles for short um, such buildings and and architecture furniture whatever we're going to say uh, that's how most people live but the one percent at the top lived in lavish dashes, drove fancy cars, went on vacations in Western nations because uh, there was nowhere to go in the Eastern nations. They were too impoverished. And, um, and they, 
they basically existed as a class unto themselves, and many of them became extremely wealthy, whether by taking money out of the um, the national treasury or by running businesses on the side that they were allowed to run because they were among the insider group. By the way, this looks nearly identical to the way Hamas has been running the economy in Gaza for the last, whatever it's been since they came into power in 2005, 19 years. Um, there's there's virtually no distinction between the two. And, and I think for this reason, most thinking Christians should be radically opposed to communism, radically opposed to it. It does nothing but enslave and impoverish people, bankrupt them morally, bankrupt them spiritually. And if you want to read a relatively short book, it's about 80, maybe 85 pages that addresses this from an economist's point of view, um, I don't think Milton Friedman was a Christian per se. Uh, he might have been a sort of a mainstream Christian, but I don't think he was an evangelical or charismatic. He wrote a book called Capitalism and Freedom, and he, and he explains why capitalism is a necessary thing for people to find economic and, and political freedom. And to reduce it to a single sentence, but there's way more to it than this, and I want to be clear that there's way more to it than this. Uh, Friedman argues that people must uh, be able have, at least have the opportunity to control the means of production in order to secure their own economic freedom and not be enslaved to what the state dictates to them. So this isn't really what I've intended to talk about today, but having just come out of a former communist nation and continuing to see the the um, the impact of the, the the moral depravity, uh, the, the, the corruption that communism brought to that nation. I'm kind of up on my high horse as I say this, uh, because there is such a move back towards communism in our country. And it is necessary in order to secure people's freedom and to make them better off that we actually move back towards communism. Yes, I am fully aware that uh, there are extreme forms of communism that go too far and become, as they say, Hobbesian. And this is be based on Thomas Hobbes's book, Leviathan, which kind of speaks to an, uh, a capitalism run amok. People might want to read that book as well. But, um, but it, it remains true that capitalism has historically been the economic system that has lifted more people out of poverty than any other system in history, period, full stop, carriage return, new paragraph, new topic. So when I come out of Romania and I see the, the, the lingering effect, the Ceausescu overthrow happened in, I think it was 1989 from memory. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. <clears throat> um, that's 35 years ago. So it's nearly, as we would say, a generation, biblically speaking. And still the lingering effects of communism are visible everywhere. And I've seen this the same, whether I've been in Ukraine, whether I've been in Armenia, uh, whether I've been in Bulgaria, other nations that were once in the Soviet bloc, seeing the effect of what communism does to people. It's outrageous. And by the way, we can look closer to home. I worked with a colleague in San Francisco some years ago, and um, his grandfather had been part of the uh, somewhat corrupt, but but capitalist Batista regime before Castro came to power in Cuba. His father was taken captive at the Bay of Pigs invasion, um, as was his grandfather. They were ransomed out of, uh, out of captivity by the exiled Cuban community in Miami. 
And if you ever wanted to meet a, a, a virulent anti-communist, you should have met my friend, Fernando Urea, uh, who came out of that family in that world. And if you look at what Castro did to Cuba, you again see the same impact of literally an entire nation enslaved and impoverished economically. And this is why, uh, and again, I didn't really get on the show planning to talk about this, but but it seems appropriate to do it here. Um, this is why every thinking Christian really needs to read Milton Friedman's book and needs to rethink this whole meme towards communism that is underway in our country. Uh, say the name of the book one more time for people. Capitalism and Freedom. Gotcha. And I, I would assume that this is also on your mind because, and this is just a guess, uh, you spent so much time praying for folks and digging into things that there was probably a significant connection of either generational trauma or whatever that dated back to that uh, point of history where they were coming, still coming out of breaking those things off in, in probably various forms, uh, demonic, uh, inner healing, traumatic, all of those sort of things. Absolutely correct. Here's just an interesting data point. Um, I think most people, even, even people who believe in, you know, a woman's right to choose, as they say in the uh, in the pro uh, pro abortion movement, or maybe they call it the pro choice movement. Even people who believe that a woman should have a right to choose abortion, I think it was none other than Hillary Clinton who once said abortion should be safe and rare. Um, the ratio of abortions to live births in our in Romania is three to one. Three children wow. are aborted for every one child that is born live birth. Is that currently now, or is that, was that? No, that's current. It was higher under the communist regime. Wow. Now that by any measure is, I don't know what you want to call it, a Holocaust, a slaughter. I don't know. Call yeah. it what you right. like. But that is the effect of the moral turpitude um, that comes about under communism. And the utter lack of regard for human life, because when the state is the overarching power that dictates everything, uh, people lose the right of self-determination. And I don't care if you're on the on the political left and you're a you know hard left Democrat or you're on the political right and you're a I don't know, whatever. I, I don't even know what to call that group, but them. I mean, most people believe, at least in the West, that people should have the right of self-determination. And when the state owns you and they own the means of economic production, such that if you become censured, you lose your ability to earn a living, you pretty much lose all ability to chart your own course. And I don't think people think this through. I don't think they realize what this means. Everyone says, well, everybody ought to have a roof over their heads and clothes and so forth. Fair enough. I agree with that, too. Um, in fact, the scriptures say that every man should sit under his own vine and fig tree. So the idea of having a place of your own, of your own production means vines and fig trees being proxies for maybe producing grapes and figs um, and, you know, having a home of your own. I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a noble social objective. But to think that all of it's going to come because of a state program, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who famously said, a state who has enough power to give you everything you want has the ability to take everything you have. 
And that's what happened under communism. Um, in addition to the, you know, the three to one abortion to live birth ratio uh, that we ran into in Romania, um, there, are, there are other problems. One of the other big ones we ran into um, so, so there, and it just goes without saying there's an immense amount of sexual immorality in Romania. Um, many of the people we prayed with were relatively new believers, but not all of them were. And the, the lack of even a sense of remorse or of shame over some of the things that people had been doing, it, it, it almost defies logic. I'll just say that. Um, but it was, it was so pervasive, um, that, you know, that immorality component was, was, it was present everywhere. But the, uh, the other thing that we ran into was the amount of witchcraft was completely off the charts. And when I say witchcraft, I don't mean merely the kind of emotional controlling form of it that Paul terms a work of the flesh. That's real. And that was there. But uh, I mean, like real live legitimate witchcraft. One man uh, got massive deliverance because his uncle had been a, I forget what term he used for his uncle, but he was some kind of a, a, a soothsayer or a fortune teller or something. And he stated that he got his power, the, the uncle did, uh, because of two goblins that followed him around. And then he told his nephew, because you're my favorite nephew, and this is just one story. I just want to be clear. This isn't just a story that I'm pulling off the shelf. And this is the only one like it. But this one is like so mind blowing that I'm mentioning it. Uh, so his uncle said, so when I die, I'm going to bequeath my goblins to you so that you will also have the same power that I have. And this is kind of a well-known phenomenon within the occult sort of black arts community but for those who don't exist in that world it's it's so unknown to them that it seems so far-fetched and so beyond the pale that that people kind of blow it off i, I don't want you to blow it off i want you to take me 100 literally as i tell this story um this man his uncle died and bequeathed his goblins to this man and he got massive massive deliverance from these two goblins as they were termed, it's not a term we tend to use much, but you know, within the lore and literature of the West, we do find the term goblin. Um, this man had those spirits and had to be delivered of two goblins in order to get free. Wow. So people were blown away by it, of course, um, which, you know, praise God, everybody was awed at Jesus's miracles too. But this is the kind of stuff that's out there and, and can I just say something that that came up at dinner tonight? Um, I'm I'm recording from Germany right now, and I had dinner just before I came back to my room to, to make this podcast. Uh, this came up at dinner tonight that um, this this is exactly the reason why I don't endorse the concept of self-deliverance. I'm not saying there aren't times that there isn't sovereign deliverance. That's when the spirit of God comes on people and of his own sovereign volition, the Lord God almighty will set people free of demons. That does happen, but it's not the normal pattern of deliverance that we see in scripture. The normal pattern of deliverance is that whether it's Jesus or one of the apostles, 
they are driving demons out of those who are afflicted. And there is no place in the, in the scriptures, not a single place where it says, go cast demons out of yourself or go teach others how to cast demons out of themselves. The, the standing unambiguous pattern that we see is that the disciples or Jesus went out and they drove demons out of other people. And so that is the command we are given. And when you have been infested with goblins that you got from your uncle that are clairvoyant spirits that give you the ability to function in that way, all I can say of self-deliverance is good luck and write to me when you find success with it because you won't. These, these demons are far, far too powerful for that kind of thing to work. We had several women who had been the victims of gang rape. When you've been gang raped, I mean, rape is destructive enough. I always say it's the single most destructive thing that can happen to a human being. And of course, some men get raped too. So it's not exclusively what happens to women, but it's, it is for sure more common with women than men. Um, but when gang rape happens, this is this is multiples of intensity and damage beyond what happens in a singular rape situation. And everyone, please understand, I'm not in any way trying to minimize or downplay if a woman's been raped, the significance or the severity of that. Not at all. Um, but I'm just saying that when this happens, you are not going to get yourself free of that kind of damage to your psyche to your soul you are not going to have that happen because you've got somebody's webinar for 39 bucks or bought some book on self-deliverance that's just not a thing it's just it's completely it's not even it's not even a biblical model um and i prayed for enough people who tried the self-deliverance route to know that it's a failed endeavor yeah yeah 100 so. so we had we had all the witchcraft we had all the communist stuff we had all of the sexual immorality. And uh, I'll show you this one. This is kind of cool. There was one woman. And the way she came to the meeting was pretty interesting. I'd been at Morningstar Ministries in South Carolina the week before I came. And there was a guy there that I've met actually when I'd been in Atlanta, Georgia. But I'd kind of forgotten who he was. And he, uh, he came up running up to me and said, I've been praying that you would go to Romania. And then I found out you're going to Timisoara. And, uh, and my parents live in Timisoara. They really need help. Is there any way that you can get them into the meeting? And so I, you know, I wrote to the, the sponsors of the meeting and I said, I have one couple I'd like you to admit, even if they're not part of your church. And so they did. Um, so this woman came and she'd been in a frightening state, just shocking state. Uh, since she was a young, young girl. And um, her father had died. And it was a long, sad story of woe and misery. And of course, this was in the years of the Ceausescu regime. And so because she was, her father had died, the government took her and put her in an orphanage, even though her mother was still alive. And she lived in that orphanage for most of a year, not quite all of a year, but most of a year. And, uh, and then she was ultimately released. So this woman had came and... Um, so I'm showing this picture here on my screen. This will be in our prayer letter this month. That's her and her husband. And if you see where I'm pointing with my finger just there, that is the knee brace and the crutch that she came in with mm. after roughly 75 minutes of prayer. 
but she walked out of that meeting under her own power going up and down stairs after most of a lifetime. I think she told me she was 67 or 68 years old and this calamity with her father dying had befallen her at age eight. So round numbers, wow. about 60 years. She had been unable to walk, unable to function normally. Um, and at one point uh, she'd had such severe arthritis in her hands that her husband, who was the other guy in that picture, um, he had had to essentially assume all of the domestic duties of the house. She couldn't do anything. And she was bedridden. And the Lord didn't quite finish healing her hands that night, but she got to where she could close them nearly all the way and had some strength in her hands, uh, which I tested with her as I walked with her, uh, confirming her healing. So, I mean, we had physical healings that were dramatic and demonstrable. Uh, we had deliverances that were, I don't know what you want to say, loud and off the charts. Um, these were not necessarily all of them quiet deliverances. Some of them were quieter, but many of them were not. Um, and, you know, I had one woman who had come over from uh, Germany and she'd been functioning as a missionary, but I'm not really sure how she managed to pull that off because she was pretty bound up. She was in her late 20s and um, she had in her earlier uh, 20s, late teens, uh, even though she was raised by, in a pastor's home, she had experimented with yoga, uh, multiple other religious options, including ayahuasca and some of the drug world. Um, she'd been, I would say, promiscuous enough. Uh, I've seen worse, but promiscuous enough. And that I took her through almost three hours of deliverance in which she was spitting up and vomiting in a trash can. Now, she wasn't Romanian, but she was living there in Romania and had been there for a while. Um, rather than returning to her home city in Germany. So these are just a few snapshots of stories of what went on. And it was, fan it was a fantastic time. And I'll say this, the Romanians who brought us in, they were blown away. They'd never seen anything like this. And uh, before we were even through with the, with the event, um, they asked me to return next year for more time. And one of their colleagues who'd come from a town about five hours north of Kimishwada uh, asked me to come to his town as well. And if I, if I try to do all of that, uh, this could be a two or three week tr trip to Romania next year. Uh, but we found the people to be warm and pleasant. We found the food to be delicious. We had a very comfortable and nice hotel that was in many respects, very Western in its standards. Um, the one thing that maybe was a little different was I tried getting some laundry done and they said it wasn't possible to get it done in, in even a day. They said it would take two days to get the laundry done. So in that sense, they were still kind of operating on Soviet time, but uh, we, were not, we didn't feel unsafe. Uh, there was no danger of any kind at any point. Um, it, was a, it was a really good trip and all of our team they grew like it was a vertical learning curve, right? Vertical learning curve. They grew by leaps, leaps and bounds in their understanding. And they, they, all of them were saying, man, all the things that you taught us in Orbis School of Ministry, we needed all of that and more. And we were so glad you were there to pick your brain when we needed to. Um, I don't think there was any single person for whom we prayed, except for one person who I, I, I stopped the uh, prayer session because I couldn't, I knew I couldn't continue praying until what we would need to do in order to get the breakthrough. And I said, we would circle back to that individual 
and finish them out on a subsequent day. But I don't think there was any one person other than her uh, of all the people who got prayer who did not get a massive, massive breakthrough. And they were all just saying, oh, we feel so different. Their pictures look different. Their faces look different. Uh, they lost their food allergies. They lost their neuroses. They lost their anger. They lost whatever that stuff was it was ailing them but let me say it again lest anyone missed it there wasn't anybody who took well this woman that got healed i think she was about 75 minutes but everybody else was two hours or more of prayer and when you're trying to get to that level of breakthrough you need to be slow and thorough you cannot just line people up and go down the line and go be healed be healed be healed or come out come out come out that is not going to work. We did a couple of mass deliverances that then, you know, broke down into all these people needed yet more than just to come out in Jesus name, because we had to get into the, like the, their story. We had to get into the details of their life and where did they have brokenness in their soul? And, you know, wh why was it that the evil one had this much access to them? All of that had to be completely diffused and pulled apart. Um, it's like trying to clear tunnels in Gaza. You know, you, you can't just run down the tunnel and say, okay, it's clear now. Yeah. yeah. Can you, um, first of all, before I ask my question, this is a trip that you advertise that people can like the average person could maybe get a part of this, or is this just for students? No, anybody could have come, but most people didn't sign up. And I don't know if it was because they felt, uh, you know, like they were, unqualified maybe they were too busy they couldn't break away maybe they were afraid that romania wasn't safe uh, i don't know people have various reasons why they don't uh sign up uh but we could have used a bigger team than we had for sure and because yeah, as like i say it. we yeah. we didn't we didn't get to bed until 1 30 at the earliest and, and several nights were as late as three so it would have been great to have had more people to pray. And they can find information on these trips on the website, right? Yeah, we list them all at um, orbisministries.org. We also have a Facebook group, which is not searchable on Facebook. You will need to send a message to join this group. You will need to write a Facebook Messenger message to Brian Orbis. And uh, so it's B-R-Y-A-N, B-R-Y-A-N, no eyes. B-R-Y-A-N Orbis and uh, ask him to add you to our Facebook group because we also advertise these trips there. And uh, we always put them in our prayer letter. And if anyone is listening and doesn't get our monthly prayer letter, and these are not just newsletters, they are actually prayer letters. <coughs> uh, if they would like to start receiving our monthly prayer letter, um, they can write to Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at OrbisMinistries.org. And um, and he will add you to our Facebook group. And uh, it's a it's a you know, it's a forum. It's a community group for those who are learning about the things of the spirit and growing in ministry skills. Um, and so, we you know, people post questions. They get a lot of discussion and conversation. I will weigh in there, but I don't personally answer every question I used to. And I've gotten so busy, I, I don't have time to spend four to six hours a day on Facebook answering everyone's questions. So um, I've curtailed my own involvement. Yeah, you're spending you're spending eight hours uh, praying for people in Romania. So you can't you don't have that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's really true. There's only 24 hours in a day. I know. I know you squeeze every life bit out of it. But um can you walk us through, I know we're going to, we're making this one shorter. Um, 
but I think people would be really interested if you can. Okay. You prayed 75 minutes for a lady that had problems with her legs and she got healed. Can you kind of walk us through, what does that even look like? What does that mean? Um, I mean, would you just yell at the leg for 75 minutes? Like, could you, people are, I'm sure are wondering, like, how does that even work? I know because we've done it and that, you know, we do that here and all of that. But I, a lot of people don't have a frame of reference for, for this. Well, um, you know, we teach on this in our Orbis School of Ministry. So anybody who's wanting to learn how to be effective in this class of healing, really, I, I would encourage you to sign up at orbissm.com, O-R-B-I-S sm.com yes there are two s's in that or what's the SM. what what would the class be uh that for that one i would probably say heal is jesus heal okay but this was a classic integrated healing uh issue so as i mentioned her father died when she was eight and um originally the communist government wanted to put her five brothers and her in the orphanage and her mother had somehow stood up to the Aparachiki, the you know leaders of the Communist Party that were running the whatever it was, the health ministry or the youth ministry or whatever they called it in those years, uh, but the government. And um, and she said, if you are going to take my children away from me, order a pine box because I will die. And so, being the uh, enlightened, caring government that they are, they left the five boys in the home. Uh, but they took the girl out of the home, which shows you the misogyny um, and anti-feminism of communism as well. But I don't want to get down that rabbit trail. But I throw it out there because I think people make a lot of assumptions about a lot of these things that we understood clearly a generation ago were evil. And nowadays people are, they're supposedly rethinking it as though things have changed and they haven't. So anyway, um, she goes into the orphanage and... Um, and she's very embittered towards God, both because her father had died and she adored her father and because now she's taken from her mother and she's being forced to live in an orphanage. Now, I asked her because, as most people are aware, uh, oftentimes horrible things happen to people in orphanages, especially for young girls. Uh, rape is very common. But as it worked out, then that did not happen to her. That was maybe the one big bright spot in her stories. She was just lonely, cold, underfed, uh, unloved. Uh, and it was a you know hostile environment with a lot of people that were displaced of, of roughly her age. And everyone's looking out for themselves. Um, but at least she didn't get raped. So... Um, Anyway, she, she became embittered towards God. And uh, it was around that time that her walking and mobility problems began, which is, is a pretty good indicator that this was directly related to the death of her father. And so, you know, no one had ever really talked about that with her. And, and maybe that's because people just didn't have the understanding of it. They didn't have the sensibilities about it. Uh, but anyway, um, so her problems continued and worsened. And she got married young to her husband. And um, things got worse for her because at one point, um, to support their growing family that she and her husband now had, uh, he had to go for six years to Germany to work because he couldn't find work in Romania. And then for two years, he worked in Israel. So he was away from her for eight years. And that was when she really became effectively crippled. 
Um, she was having mobility problems before, problems with her bones, uh, problems on her right side with her shoulder and her arm. Um, but then it got uh, worse and it kind of settled into her hip and her thigh. And by this time she was, I don't remember the exact age, but somewhere in her kind of later 20s because you know they had their own children and he's gone. And I said, and tell me, when did that begin? Was that around the time that he left? She said, yes, within a month. Well, this is a classic scenario of what I teach on when I call it roots and triggers. So the root was her father left her and she you know, did not have a, a, a male figure whom she trusted in her life. But then uh, what happened next is some some period goes by. She meets this guy, they get married, and now he's no longer in her life either. So what does this look like? Every man who ever comes into my life leaves me. Mm-hmm. And I have nowhere to turn, no one to protect me, no one to provide, etc. And I think for some listeners, this this probably does not sit well, even to hear me talking this way. Let me assure you, I believe in female empowerment. I am not being a misogynist, but in many cultures of the world, there is still a standing belief that you know men are to be the providers, the breadwinners, uh, the protectors. Um, it's not that women can't work or shouldn't work. It's that this is the role of a man to, to take care of his family. And so she was... Uh, you know, she was feeling the lack of her husband and the route that was laid down with her father's death uh, was triggered by the departure of her husband to other nations for eight full years. And he only came home, you know, a couple times a year for relatively brief visits. And so here this woman is dealing with all of that. And so she had to forgive God for the death of her husband because she had, you know, been raging against God. Uh, It reminds me of the story in Macbeth, uh, fighting against God because of this early death of her father. But then she had a second version of it with her husband and she had to forgive her husband. Now, as far as he was willing to admit and as far as she knew, he had never had an affair. So it may have been that he was loyal to her while he was away, but he was away for eight years and she was lonely and she was, you know, dealing with their household of children uh, with nobody there to assist her with that. And, um, you know, she basically didn't know how long this was going to go on anyway. So she forgave her husband. And let me just be clear about this. There was a dramatic and, and, and massive emotional release in her, as she made her peace with God uh, over the death of her father, and then as she forgave her husband for leaving her for eight years. And again, he did it apparently with the best of intentions and, um, you know, with good behavior. Notwithstanding, she still carried all of this in her heart. And all of that was requisite. Let me say that again. It was a necessary condition for her healing to get that emotional blockage cleared. And normally when we see these kinds of healings, I would say something in the range of 95% of the time, there is a dramatic emotional release. So when people say, oh, we don't need all that tears and emotion, that's just people trying to behave, you know, know, for like a white middle-class evangelical church rather than dealing with the reality of the agony of soul that this woman had been through. 
And as she, you know, released all of that pain and grief, um, that was when her healing began to start. But but I want to be clear, that wasn't the end of the healing. That was the beginning of the healing. Mm. And so with that, her hands stopped hurting and, you know, she began to move them and flex them a bit. And then, uh, and then she was um, starting to move her arm and, and the right arm was quite impaired. She couldn't extend it fully. She couldn't do that. And she couldn't pull it all the way back. It was kind of restricted to a reduced range of motion. And, uh, and she started to move her knee. And, you know, we prayed until really we, we didn't see any further progress and she still wasn't fully healed. And I said, do you want to get up and try to walk? And I said, here's how we'll do it. I will escort you and I will, I will keep my hands on you. You do not need to worry about falling. If you, if you totter or lose your balance, I will be there to catch you. And I don't mean before you hit the floor, I'm going to be standing right beside you. And as we walk, I'll have my arm over your shoulder and the other one on your arm next to me so i can steady you you will not fall and she she trusted me and believed that and so we got her out of the chair and she started walking and then she then she completely lost the plot uh because she she said i don't feel any pain at all in my body as i walk and then i had her doing deep knee bends and bending over and touching her toes and we did several passes up and back across the stage and people in the room saw this because we're on the platform and the crowd went wild. I mean, people were, they were applauding and whistling and cheering and they'd never seen anything like it. They were just astounded by this, you know, the demonstration of God's goodness. And so um, anyway, we did, we did some more of that and then we did some more checking and then we prayed for her some more in the chair and then I said, now, before I send you home, I want you to go up and down these stairs that, you know, lead up to the stage and down from the stage. And she did it really well. And I said, now, the last thing I want to do is I want you to walk with no support at all. And I said, and I got someone behind her and I said, now, I'm not going to touch you. And this other person won't touch you. If you lose your balance, you start to fall, we will catch you. You do not need to worry about hitting the ground. But we want to see if you can do this on your own power and have your, you know, your center of balance, your center of mass, all the things that go with walking, uh, if you can do that. And she and her husband both started crying at that point. And then, uh, and then we sent her home. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, and I know there's people I'm trying to, to remember all the questions that I asked you when we first met and then all the things that people have asked me, but, um, you know, and I, I think it's so indicative of so many things that, that happened. Like every prayer appointment probably was like that in some respect, right? I mean, in other words, like you were going back to roots and triggers. You were going to all of these places. And the integrated healing model is is probably what you used the entire time. Is that correct? 100%. Yeah. And yeah. and you you see the results. I mean, you know, you were able to to see the healings and all of that sort of thing. And so I just, I'm, I'm pointing this out to say, if you're listening to this and you want to uh, learn to pray, and I know that sounds some, some, a, a little bit strange to some people learning to pray and to pray more effectively. Um, it's just, it's, it's just what you do and it's, it's what works. And so you can find that information out on um, the website, uh, Orbis SM dot com. Com? Okay. And, uh, dot com. 
and primarily in the heal as Jesus heals uh, class. Is that is that about right? Yeah, and then we also have an advanced class in healing, which you have to take heal as Jesus healed first. Uh, but if you if you take that one, then you can get into the advanced class. And you know, we teach a lot of techniques and so forth. Now we can't obviously teach every single thing sure. that there is to know, but um, one of the things that I, I, a friend of mine got a doctorate uh, before I started mine and um, he did um, his, his doctoral dissertation on how do people learn? And one of the things I think there, maybe this has been true for some time, but it seems that in the modern world, the way people learn is changing and the way it's changing is that people are, uh, they are more inclined to use video than they've ever been uh, rather than reading books, which obviously in ancient times, there was no video. So books were your only choice. I still like books myself, partially because I can read them more rapidly than I can watch video. But a lot of people really want to watch video. And he told me that uh, by an overwhelming percentage, particularly in the uh, kind of millennial crowd so you know 20 somethings um they basically don't read anymore they they read they learn by video and he said to me ken if you want to if you really want to communicate with people and reach them well you need to you need to be teaching by video so that was kind of the genesis of my willingness to start our school and so all this stuff is available on video we have quizzes they're exams, but they're not, they're not, don't think of it like what you ran into at university. They're more like just a check that you had comprehension of what we were saying uh, when we taught. But anyway, we give you, you know, a lot of the best keys to the kingdom uh, right there in those lectures. But if you sign up when we're doing cohorts, uh, you can get an activation cohort with a teaching assistant and there's no extra charge for that. Uh, it's not offered all the time. So e each semester we offer some classes with cohorts and others without and you just have to kind of know what we're doing with that but you also have the option of getting into a cohort later on if you've already viewed the videos um, off cycle and then i also offer webinars that answer a lot of the questions people might want to ask based on things they're learning and i always view these ministry trips as i don't know almost the the summit of of where we're taking things because people are on the road with me. And so we take meals together. We discuss particular scenarios that arose in prayer, or maybe something I said in the sermon, people might ask for some unpacking about that. Um, I will walk through them or through problems they've run into with them. Uh, you know, I prayed for this. I got stuck. We didn't get to break through. What should I have done differently? And so we might discuss, you know, what that would look like. Um, and so, you know, I basically help people kind of get further down the road. And, you know, one of the things I learned from John Wimber, he always used to say this, people learn by failing. Some people say people learn by doing, but you don't learn anything if what you're doing isn't working and you just keep on doing that same thing that doesn't work. So what we try to do is help people to fail well, which is not to say we want people to fail, but rather should they fail they're now in a learning posture and so we try to help them understand why it failed so that they can now work on whatever this thing was and hopefully do it in a 
somewhat different manner with the idea of finding breakthrough for the person to whom they're ministering. And so we might meet over meals. Uh, we have team meetings maybe before uh, each session. Sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter. We could discuss things that are going on. Uh, we might pray uh, ahead of the meeting as a team. Um, in addition, after the meeting is over, a lot of times, even if it's late at night, and, and this happened in Romania, we would go back to the hotel and we would stand around in the lobby and we would talk maybe 30 minutes, an hour about what just happened. You know, what worked, what didn't work. Let me tell you my victories. Did you see that guy when this happened to him? Um, all of that and more. And so it's, a, it's an immersive laboratory type learning experience. And I haven't had anyone go on one of these who hasn't come home dramatically changed, not only in their perspectives on things, but also their skill set. No, that's great. That's great. Well, Ken, I know you've got a uh, busy schedule ahead of you uh, in Germany and um, and throughout the rest of the year. So thanks. Well, we can call this one and land the plane and uh, yeah. and get you uh, get you off to bed, hopefully. And yeah. Um, and then we can do this again. So, so Ken, thanks for taking time out. Uh, I know we've had to, to fit it in a couple different ways at this time, but I know everyone's appreciative of you uh, taking time. Everyone maybe except for your guests at dinner uh, that you had to leave uh, <laughs> to be here, but we tell them we say thanks uh, as well. And uh, we uh, will be praying for you. Go to orbissm.com uh, to find out more information on how to pray more effectively uh, go to the website to uh, find out more information on the trips and to get Ken's prayer letter and all of the other things so we can keep up to date with uh, where in the world is Ken Fish. So, uh, Ken, thanks so much for, for being here. And thank all of you for listening until next time, which is next week, same time, same place, for another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. If you are interested in exploring courses with us at Orbis School of Ministry, click on the link in the description of this podcast or go to orbissm.com. You can also send any school-related inquiries to our registrar, Joe McKay, at joe at orbisministries.org. That's j-o at orbisministries.org.